at a time when Israel desperately needed God. 400 plus years before Jesus would come. A time they were desperate in need for God. The priests were apathetically, nonchalantly going through the motions of worship without any sincere desire for the Lord at all. I think about our day and our time. At a time and a place in our nation and in our world when we desperately need God, when, when we could be on the, the looming front of, of something world, some worldwide catastrophe taking place, I, I wonder, are we nonchalantly going through the motions at church without our heart truly engaged in the almighty Lord of armies? There is a high cost to apathetic worship. And we see that in Malachi chapter 2. So take your Bibles with me and turn to Malachi chapter 2. And we're going to read Malachi chapter 2 in the first nine verses this morning. And we're going to think about apathetic worship again. We find that as we are on this, this journey through Malachi, it began as the people doubted God's love. Does God really love us in verses 1 and then verses 2 through 5? And then we find that not only do they doubt God's love, but then they dishonor God's name from chapter 1, verse 6, down through chapter 2 and verse number 9. And here, the Lord is specifically speaking to the priests. Now, we understand and recognize that the priests are in a different role in the Old Testament than now. A priest would stand as God's representative to people. He would represent God before the people, and he would represent the people before God. Now, the Bible tells us that through Christ, that we believe that all of us have become priests, that we can approach God directly. It is called the priesthood of the believer in that we have direct access to to God himself. We can go be boldly before the throne. And so the challenge for us as we look at this is not just think about church leadership or temple leadership, but to think about my life. So Malachi chapter 2, we pick up in verse number 1. Therefore, this decree is for you, priests. If you don't listen And if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you, and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I've already begun to curse them because you are not taking it to heart. Look, I'm going to rebuke your descendants, and I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of armies. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave these to him. It called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. 
true instruction was in his mouth, and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should desire instruction from his mouth, because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. You, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So I, in turn, have made you despised and humiliated before all the people because you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality through your instructions. And with that, let's pray together. God, challenge us today to be people of worship. May we see you fresh and may our heart, mind, be engaged with who you are in your name. Amen. So how's your worship? I'm not talking just about corporate worship. I, I hope that as you were in worship today, that you have had a time of corporate singing and praising God for all that he's done and for what he's doing in your life. I, I hope that you have been able to wake up this morning and have a sense of gratefulness and thanksgiving that you could actually come to church. But let me remind you that the verse that was shared, I will bless the Lord at all times. Or as Psalm 118.24 says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Worship is not just a once a week, a couple of hours, hanging out with church people and singing and listening to a sermon. But instead, worship is to be part of our daily activity of blessing the Lord at all times and remembering that this is the day the Lord has made and looking to him and rejoicing in him and lifting up our requests and our needs before him. It is coming to a place where our, our focus is set, our heart is right, and our actions honor God. That, that's really what it comes to. Our focus is set on the greatness of who he is. Our heart is right, and our actions are bringing honor and glory to him. If you've been to the store lately, you recognize prices are up. Prices are up. You go to the grocery store. I have to admit, uh, two weeks ago, Julie and I went to the grocery store, and the cereal that I normally eat was like 70 cents more than it normally was. And so I thought, I'm not buying it. And uh, anyway, I went yesterday, and I thought, you can't, you can't win. I'm just buying it anyway. So I just gave it. Julie's like, buddy, are you not going to eat your cereal over 70 cents? It's, it, it was just the, the whole thing. It was just this sense of, of ever aggravating how high prices are. You realize, I, I just read in the Wall Street Journal that 82% of all new cars that were purchased last month, they paid over sticker price for. Over sticker price. If you've looked at the housing market, you see houses that are set at a price and, and people are giving thirty or forty or sixty thousand dollars above asking price. Everything is high. But there is a high cost when we go through the motions of worship without showing our respect and reverence to who God is.
There is a high cost for a nation that says, oh, we don't even need to think about worship. We've got everything under control. And, and if I don't have money in the bank, I at least have a piece of plastic in my pocket. And they turned and have turned from the Lord. We, we look at the temptations of the world around us and how people have been drawn away from the Lord in so many different directions. And they have forgotten who he is. So this morning, I want us to primarily take a, a look and, and see a lesson from the past. And as we think about a lesson from the past and, and what we see in the book of Malachi, I want us to, to know and understand, if you don't get anything out of this, please understand and know this. God knows and God cares how you worship. God knows and cares how you worship. He watched Israel 400 plus BC and he watched their worship and he decided that he was going to curse the priests for their attitude and for their action. So let's think about that this morning as we jump back into the book of Malachi. There's this lesson from the past and the first one is this, God cursed careless worshipers. Notice in verse number two, God says, if you don't listen and if you don't take it to, to take, uh, to heart to honor my name, I will send a curse among you. God cursed careless worshipers. Now remember in Malachi chapter one, again, they begin in, in verse number two, does God really love us? And they begin to doubt God's love. And then in verse number six and following, they began to dishonor God. God said that he was a father in chapter one, verse number six, and he was a master in verse number six, and that he is a great king over the earth in verse number 14, and that he is the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts in verse six, eight, nine, 10, 11, and 14. He repeats who I am, understand and recognize who I am. And in verse number 11, he said, I wanted my name to be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to when it goes down, that my name would be great among the whole wide world. But my own chosen people, Israel, have come to a place of dishonoring me. And because they have dishonored me, God brings a curse. So let's think about the cause as, uh, of this curse as it is laid out. Let's think about the cause. First off, as we think about the cause of the curse that was laid before them, they first, they turn from God. Notice in verse number two, if you don't listen and if you don't take it to heart, notice at the end of verse number two again, you're not taking it to heart. The the priest turned from God. Listen, th this was the professional clergy of that day. And they weren't listening to God. They were showing God no respect. They didn't listen to him. They would come and they would go through and go through the motions of worship and go through the motions at the temple, but they didn't listen to God themselves. And as they didn't listen, notice down in verse number eight what happens. It tells us that you have turned from the way. You have turned from the way. They turned from God themselves. They didn't listen. We're going to do what we want, and we're just going to turn and do our own thing. I have a word of challenge to parents and grandparents today. 
there's a word of challenge. When we turn from God, our influence speaks loudly. And people are watching. For those of you who, who uh, call yourself a believer and then act like everyone else, can I tell you, your influence makes a difference in the lives of those that are around you. They talked the talk. They would go in and they would kill the animals and go through the, the motions of worship. And then they would not listen and just do their own thing. They turned from God. But not only did they turn from God, but then they turned others from God. Notice, as we think about the horror of this, notice verse number eight. You have turned from the way, and then continue on. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. Your example matters because it may be just you that that person is watching to see, hey, is it real? Is it genuine? Is it true? And then notice that their instruction turned people away. There will be people that will be gathered in churches today and people who will stand behind pulpits or lecterns and, and they will, will stand in a word. I'll use the word church loosely. They will stand in a church that is to represent God and the truth of his word, and yet their instruction will embrace a secular worldview and philosophy. They may grasp onto something like universalism that says, oh, is, is, you're okay and I'm okay. We can all make our way to God through different means. When the Bible clearly lays out, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There will be people who will stand in, in, in pulpits and behind lecterns today who will who will embrace uh, not only a sense of, of universalism, but will grab onto moral relativism that says, hey, what the Bible says and about creation and man and woman and marriage between man and a woman, that was just that day. Now, we've got to relate to today's culture. And, and basically, if it is legal, it is moral. Understand, there will be people. A few years ago, uh, when I was on staff at a church in Memphis, when the Sanctity of Life Sunday came, we uh, were on a very busy uh, interchange in, in Memphis. And so after church, we would take an hour, a couple hours, and we would hold uh, pro-life signs and how uh, God loves life and the sanctity of the unborn, those kinds of things. Across the street... There was another, and again, I use this word loosely, church that would hold things up on, on uh, be pro-choice. This is a, a, a quote, church, and yet have embraced the moral relativism of the day. There is no foundation of Scripture. 
They have embraced instead biblical liberalism to say, oh yeah, the, the Bible's not really inspired. I mean, it, it, God just kind of worked through some people, but, but we don't really have to take it to heart. It's just archaic and there's some parts that we don't really believe that ought to be there. And because of that and the nature of how progressive we have become in our culture today, we don't have to listen to that anymore. And through their actions and attitudes, the priests of that day dishonored God. Can I tell you, it happens in our world today as well. And I would challenge each of us, and it's easy to get up and to, 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 to say and, and to speak, but, but understand when you when you draw your line and say, yes, we do believe that the Bible is inspired by God. And the Bible is the one that carries all authority over any worldly philosophy or over any ism. We don't look to culture and then try to redefine the Bible. Instead, we look through a biblical lens through the Bible. And through that, we have a a glance and worldview at everything else. The priests of that day thought, hey, we can do whatever we want and we can still go to church and bring our sacrifices and I'm okay and you're okay. The cause of the curse, they not only turned from God themselves, but their instruction led others from God. It's just a horrific thing as they think and they look And they brought the questions, you have turned from the way and have caused many to stumble by your instruction. James 3 reminds us that not many should be teachers because they are held to a higher accountability before God. But all of us, listen, all of us are teachers. Through our life and through our lips, And we want to make sure and not lead men and women and boys and girls, our students, to stumble. Make sure that we're walking with him, the cause of the curse. But then let's think about the consequences of the curse. Notice in verse number two, as we think about the consequences of the curse, the curse was going to impact their blessing. Notice in verse two, if you don't listen and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord, I will send a curse among you and I will curse your blessings. The very things that I have blessed you with, the provision that I've had, I can withhold it or that very thing that you were holding to and thinking, oh, I've got security because of my crops. God says, I can send a curse. He says, the curse is going to impact your blessings. But not only is it going to impact your blessings, but it's going to impact your descendants and your offspring. Now, notice notice the picture here in verse number three. Look, I'm going to rebuke your descendants. Rebuke your descendants. You mean that God is going to punish the kids because of what mom and dad did? I don't believe in the context that's what this means. I think what it does mean is this, that as the parents imitate and emulate mom and dad, and they walk in that way, that same dishonor, disrespect toward God, that same nonchalant attitude that mom and dad had, God says they're going to get cursed as well. If there's anything 
that has motivated me outside of the fact that I know that I'm going to stand before God. It's the fact that I've had four boys that have followed me. Now, they have inherited some wisecrack genes and some, uh, you know, the gift of sarcasm and some things like that that have definitely come through my side of the family. And, uh, you know, that's, that's all fun. But when it comes to their knowing the Lord and seeing my life, there is nothing more important. And I'll be honest, I have prayed to God before that before I mess something up and do something horrific, just kill me. I have prayed it. Lord, if, if, if I'm not going to run well and I'm not going to finish well, just take me out. Because I do not want to set a bad example before them. That's how important this is to me. And as parents, we need to have some conviction about the life we're living and the words we're sharing and the heart we're showing toward the things of God. It is important. It was, the curse was going to impact their blessing and impact their descendants. But ultimately, the curse was going to impact their own lives. Now, this uh, is, is quite an interesting uh, series of, of sentences that we have. Pick up halfway through verse number two, or verse three. He says, and I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices, and you will be taken away with it. I, I can imagine these priests and their, and their glory thinking, you know, we went through this a few years ago with, with one who was called the cussing pastor. You know, it was like, how close can I live to the world and be attractive to the world while at the same time calling myself a pastor? And I, I imagine these priests are thinking, look, I, I can go to church and do my thing and yet still act like, do like, be relevant like everybody in the world. And the Lord says, I'm going to take animal waste and it's going to be on you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go out and, and uh, had some friends with farm ponds and, and the, walking through the cow pasture, I like to watch where I walk. I don't like it on my shoes, and I definitely don't want it on my face. But without being too crude, let me just tell you, while these priests walk out of temple thinking, man, what a great job I've done, how relevant I am to everybody else, look at me. Man, I've done all these sacrifices, and yet I can live like the world, and I can be cool, and I can be hip, and I can blend in, and do all this kind of stuff. And instead of coming out thinking, man, I'm going to get the Gatorade bath for, for uh, the priests, the Lord says, listen, you're not getting a Gatorade bath. You're getting poop and guts all over your face. disgusting. I even troubled myself over, should I say that word or not? But this is the truth. They think they're doing something. They think they're being relevant. They think they're getting away with it. And God says, you're not getting away with anything. You know why? Because God knows and cares how we worship. 
And God gave the consequences to the priests of that day. But then we see a stark contrast. Notice with me in verse number four. Then you will know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue. Notice verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave these to him, and I called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. Now we get the other side of this coin, where God shows his blessing toward careful worshipers. God has already cursed those who were careless, but now he shows his blessing toward those who carefully and sincerely went before for the Lord. Now, this is talking not just about Levi himself, but the tribe of Levites. They were standing and serving faithfully. And though the priests were doing their own thing, he gives the picture that there was a group of Levites who were careful and meticulous and heard from God and wanted to walk with God and stood out from the others. So let's think about the cause of their blessing. Notice in verse number five that they had reverence to God. He, he says in verse number, number five, he, he says, my covenant was with him and one of life and peace. He says, I called for reverence and he revered. There is a picture that God says, look, I, I know them. I know their heart. I know their reverence. I know their respect. I know their honor. I know where they're coming from when it comes time to worship. And I rever- they reverenced me. They saw me as father and master and a great king and the Lord of armies. And it changed how they worshipped. But not only did they revere, but notice their instruction. They, they instructed the truth of God. Notice down in verse number 6. True instruction was in his mouth. Nothing wrong was found on his lips. Notice verse number seven. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should desire instruction from his mouth because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. Here we got a group of Levites who are speaking the truth, who are standing in truth and preaching the truth and calling people to repentance and saying nonchalant worship is is no good. And though you think you get points for coming to the temple, your worship is unacceptable if your heart is not right. Their, their, their mind, their, their focus was set. Their heart was right. Their actions brought honor. They lived a life of worship. And because they lived a life of worship, God says, I appreciate your reverence. And yes, your instruction is right on. I am a great king. I am the Lord of armies. I am a force to be reckoned with. Do not dishonor me. And may I just say, God is not the old man upstairs and he's not your good buddy. He does picture himself and call him a father, but we find that he is Almighty, the Lord of armies. And as we instruct and as we guide and as we teach, we stand on the truth of this word. And the Levites knew that and they looked back and could tell that through uh, the, the Pentateuch that those who, who lived according to the calling of the Lord would be blessed and those who did not would be cursed. The cause of their blessing 
their reverence and their instruction, but also we find their obedience. Notice in verse number six, you, he says uh, uh, in verse six, true instruction was in his mouth, nothing wrong found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity. Walking with integrity. What a challenge. So may I ask, not only how do you worship, but how do you walk? How, how do you worship? How do you walk? None of us are perfect. I fully understand that. But God calls us to be men and women who walk. And though we are not perfect, we are to be authentic. And we should be striving to walk in obedience to the Lord. Not to earn his favor, but because his favor has already been bestowed upon us in Jesus. The cause of their blessing. But then let's think quickly about the consequence of their blessing. The blessing, what was that going to be? The blessing from God, notice in verse number five. Their blessing from God, he says, my covenant was one of life and peace. The first blessing was that they were gonna experience life. They were gonna experience life. As, as we think about life, not just, not just going through the motions, humdrum, I, I, but, but life, a sense of zest and a sense of purpose. Uh, a heart for the things of the Lord. Jesus would say, for those of us who know him, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Deuteronomy chapter 30, the Lord would say, I've put before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Not only life, but also peace. Life and peace. What a precious, precious word for our world today. Peace. A tranquil heart amid a chaotic world. Amid the travail of everything going on around us, there is a sense of tranquility within us. Ultimately, for us today, life and peace comes only through Jesus. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned, whether we've gone through the motions in church or we've said a bad word or we've had bad thoughts or we've done bad things. All of us have sinned and because we have sinned, we have fallen short of the glory of God. We are disqualified from a perfect heaven with a perfect God. But the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Life, abundant, everlasting. And that we can have peace. Romans 5.1 says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are today. 
If you don't know Jesus, this is a number one, the most important decision in your life. What are you going to do with him? Matter of fact, I I think the most important eternal question is what have you done with Jesus? But for many of us who are believers and we say, yes, we've trusted Jesus. I want to ask you today, how's your walk? And I want to ask you today, how's your worship? I will bless the Lord at all times. How's your walk? How's your worship? God is Father, Master, Great King, the Lord of armies. How's your worship? How's your walk?